When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Martha Shedden, and today I have with me on the show, Allison Cruz. Welcome, Allison. Thank you, Martha. It's good to be here. Allison has been a licensed attorney for nearly 30 years and has focused on estate planning for the past 10 years. She will help you create a plan to ensure that you and your loved ones are financially secure and help you make preparations for medical professionals to provide information to your loved ones who know your wishes which is all very, very important. So Allison, first of all, tell us about why you went into law and what parts of your work have you interfacing with retirees or soon-to-be retirees? I always knew that I wanted to go into some sort of helping profession, but I also wanted to be intellectually challenged. So law seemed like a, a, a good avenue for me. With estate planning, retirees uh, or soon-to-be retirees are very common clients. I would say they start a bit younger for me, though. Anytime from age 40 and to maybe 65-ish is are, are my typical clients. Um, and oftentimes, it's when they have had an elderly parent um, needing assistance or even passing on, and then they've realized... I think I need to do some planning as well. So that's pretty much it. So something um, has bad has been shown to them and they realize the need for it. A lot of times. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes they're younger people. Uh, I've had clients who have gotten divorced and don't want their child to go to the father or the other parent. And because of domestic violence, abusive situations, and so they've created a will to to try to help make sure that that can't happen, and uh, to you know try to appoint somebody to be the guardian of their small children if they're minors when the the other parent passes. Yeah, that's an emotional topic to work on. I would think. Yes, a lot of a lot of emotions are uh, you know is what I deal with, and that's that's where I feel good about the the helping part, the service part of it, because. Uh, even though it's it's a lot of um, professional information that I'm handing out to my clients, there's also a little bit of handholding, and and I, I like both aspects of it. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the tangible benefits then of 
those folks that are speaking to you when they're approaching retirement? Are there any tax implications that you're working with or what do you commonly see? Yes. Um, you know, it's funny that people just do not want to pay taxes. Um, and e- even from the grave, they want to try to control that. And for the most part, we can because the exemption rate right now is incredibly high. It's 11, uh, $11.7 million for an individual. And then you double that for a married couple. So that means that your estate can be worth $11.7 million and your heirs will get it tax-free up to that exemption dollar amount. And there's a legitimate feeling for, hey, my heirs shouldn't be taxed for this because I already paid income taxes when I earned that money along the way. And so it's the government double dipping. And then on the flip side of that, you hear um, uh, people say, well, this is this is a, an inequity that's built into the system to keep the... Uh, upper class in upper class so that uh, they can just pass down their wealth to their children without any consequences. So there's two sides to that story, I would say. But um, yes, there are definitely some tax benefits. Uh, Prop 19 is another one that affects people in California, where you can only you can pass down a house to a child or a grandchild or a spouse without um, there being any any changes in the assessment of the property taxes if the spouse, child, or grandchild lives in that property as their primary residence. If they're going to use it as uh, rental income or even a, a second home, then it will be reassessed to the fair market value for the most part. It gets a little more complicated than that, but it, the property will be reassessed. Yeah. So you touched on that um... I was going to ask you this later, but you touched on that exemption rate. And are you talking about probate, Allison, or having an estate plan? Let, tell me more about how can people avoid probate and why do they want to? And what's the, what's the value? Yeah, just how does that work? Sure. So probate is a lengthy process and an expensive process where administering a trust can usually be wrapped up within a year. Probate can go on for much longer, um, and I would say a minimum of a year. And the financial implications also for going through probate are quite a bit. If you, let's say your estate is valued at $1 million, which is not that difficult to achieve if you own a house in California. So when you die, if your estate is valued at $1 million, then you're going to pay, your heirs will pay approximately at least $24,000 just in court fees, statutory fees, expenses like that, um, attorney fees. So it leaves less to your heirs and uh, more to the professionals having to to, uh, go through the probate process for your heirs. So I was going to ask you about uh, wills then. What, if people don't have many assets, do they need need to create a will or have a estate plan? Not everybody needs a trust, but everybody should have a will. You would want to have a trust if you have assets that are sizable. And I think the the probate small estate uh, figure right now is about $166,000. I think it's $166,500 or something. 
And if the entire estate is worth less than that, then you can file a very simple form that you have a small estate and avoid probate. If your estate is more than that amount, then you probably do want to have a trust to uh, make sure that you can avoid probate and that uh, you're choosing who you want to be in charge of your finances and making sure that they follow your instructions as to who gets what you want them to have. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. So you work with people that have those types of small estates and make sure they have a will. Right. And everybody should have a will because it takes care of your personal effects as well. So that otherwise it's your next of kin rummaging through your stuff. And you might be estranged from that person or not real comfortable with that person being the person to handle your estate. So all of your personal effects, meaning your artwork, your jewelry, your furniture, your clothes, everything like that is, uh, can be covered in a will. You can also include pets and ch minor children, children under the age of 18 in a will so that you can ensure that they're taken care of the way that you want them to be taken care of and by the people you want to be their caregivers. Okay. All good reasons for a will. Mm -hmm. um, when people are approaching retirement, why is estate planning part of that well thought out retirement planning process? Well, so when you're doing your plan for retirement, you're taking a look at all of your finances. Hopefully you're meeting with a financial advisor to give you some information about prudent investments. And part of this then is setting things up for not just your heirs, but also for yourself if you're not capable. So if you um, suffer from dementia or any type of memory loss issues later in life, and you lack the capacity to function and, and deal with your own finances, your trust would kick in at that point and it would go to the successor trustee so that they can pay your bills for you, um, find long-term care if need be, anything like that. It's important during your lifetime as well so that you have that set up as a safety net. Which was my exact follow-up question. How does it help you while you're still alive? And that must be, uh, well, I know from personal experience, but it, it's a huge comfort to know that you've taken care of that. And the other part, can you talk about the um, directives for healthcare and those documents that are created? Right. So there are two medical forms that, are, that should be included in every estate plan. One is the HIPAA waiver, which allows your healthcare practitioners to speak with whomever you name as representatives or agents. So, and you can name as, list as many people as you want. That avoids um, them having to say, I'm sorry, I'm not allowed to disclose how your mother went through that surgery because I don't have a HIPAA waiver. So usually they'll try to get that from the person ahead of time, but you know, if they're in a car accident or something and they're, and they're unconscious when they arrive at the hospital, they can't sign a consent form. So if you have this in advance, then it's taken care of. And usually you give a copy of it to your, your primary care physician. Then the other document that has to do with your healthcare is an advanced healthcare directive. And what this is, uh, it, provides the ability for you to give directions to whomever you name 
to make healthcare decisions for you if you're not able to. So again, if you're incapacitated, unconscious, but still alive, then somebody can make decisions about your, your medical treatment. And then if you pass away, you also can put in the form whether you want uh, to be cremated or buried, or if you want um, to donate any body parts, organs, tissues, that type of thing. So one of those important planning tools that people have a hard time dealing with, but it's, uh, it's a whole lot easier to deal with it when you're less emotional, when you're healthy than it is when somebody's in the hospital and you're faced with a crisis. And so that applies to any, any age. Absolutely. Once you're an adult, you should have those because, because of those specific situation you just described. And so with a will, you would just draw up those two documents along with the will. Yes. Yes. Uh, And there's also a, a power of attorney where if you're again, still alive, but not able to make decisions or, or handle your own affairs, then your financial affairs will be handled by whomever you name as your agent in the power of attorney so that they can continue paying your bills. Um, your, you know, your mortgage or your rent, uh, so that when you get out of the hospital, hopefully, then you have a home to come back to. Yeah. So what questions, if any, or issues do people come to you uh, with involving their social security benefits? Do you, do you get any of those? Somewhat, you know, people sometimes are not sure when they should start collecting. And I, I then suggest that they call Martha Shedden. <laughs> um, but I can uh, offer them some information to help them. You know, it's it does take teamwork. It takes uh, somebody with expertise in social security, as well as a financial planner, financial advisor, and an estate plan planning attorney, because uh, some of the decisions that you make now can affect your own life later on, as well as your heirs, so that because you don't know what's going to happen in your future. You don't know if you're going to have a healthy long life and be around for many, many years, decades, or if you're going to need a great deal of long-term care and have a very high healthcare costs. Right. Right. Those um, are considerations when you're looking at how much you have for social security, then it's always good to look at, well, how much is left over for these other things that I might suggest getting long-term care insurance if you have um, some known issues in your family history or, or for yourself. You know, I, I had a client who was diagnosed with Parkinson's and so they, they knew what was going to be coming down the road for them later in life. And uh, we talked about planning for that type of care. Yeah. Um, so when they're, you mentioned that team approach and I know we've, we've done some presentations together and, so it's financial, estate planning, Social Security, Medicare, um, and taxes. Do you see retirees, this might be too detailed for what you would hear, but do you see any retirees who are considering their Social Security decision in the context of their taxes and their whole financial withdrawal strategy? Or is that sort of outside the realm of what you deal with? It's a little outside the realm. Um, When it has been brought up, we discuss what they've been told by their financial planner or somebody else. And 
I take a look at it to see if it makes sense for the plan that they're making. Um, you know, some people really want to give a specific dollar amount to a certain person or the per- person taking care of their pets when they pass away or something like that. And sometimes that's not advisable because they might end up having to take out a reverse mortgage on their house and then there's no equity in their house. You know, so they thought they were going to have this million dollar house and then they end up not having that. When you have to give a specific dollar amount to a beneficiary, that leaves a lot less for for the residuary beneficiaries or a beneficiary who um, is receiving a percentage. So in that case, it might be better to have every, every beneficiary receiving a percentage. Oh, I see what you're saying. Instead of a dollar, of amount. A dollar amount. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, when should people start planning? You've kind of answered this and it's early. Start thinking about retirement and estate planning. And what would help them be prepared as they approach retirement? I think staying organized is probably one of the most important things, because if you make your estate plan early in life, you can expect that you're going to make some modifications over the years that you might change your mind on some things uh, about who you want to have what or who you want to be the trustee. So having everything in one place and easy to find so that you can uh, make amendments as you need to is an important thing. And also for your heirs so that they know where to find things. I think one of the most important things is for people to have a discussion with their the person who they're naming as a trustee or backup trustees, which we call successor trustees, and help them to know what's involved. And I've spoken with potential trustees to let them know, here's what this entails after the person passes away so that they can make an informed decision of whether they want to accept that responsibility, because it is a responsibility. You're handling the person's affairs in lots of different ways, and it's quite a bit for anyone to deal with. Um, The more organized you are, the easier it is for others to pick up the pieces and leaves a lot less questions, a lot less possibility of having to go to court because there's a conflict among beneficiaries. I try to avoid having co-trustees for that reason. You know, if, so, if I have a client who's insisting on having both of their children act as co-trustees, I'll ask them questions like, well, how do they get along with each other now? You know, how often do they talk with each other? Are they, you know, are they estranged or, or do they really, really get along well? Um, to figure out, are they going to get along as co-trustees? Because they're going to have to agree on every decision or else they're going to need to go either to arbitration or probate court, which is what you want to try to avoid with the trust to begin with. You do a lot of counseling, it sounds like. (laughs) A fair (laughs) amount. It's counseling and educating, I would say. And it's such a difficult topic. I know uh, just the clients I work with are social security there. We're all reluctant to face that, to face that decision about all the things involved in, estate planning. Right. And you know, when, when people do have two children or more and they, they're trying so hard to be equal to both of their children and fair, I sometimes suggest, why don't you have the, the more organized person who's good with numbers be the trustee of your trust and have the artsy, um, (laughs) you know, more compassionate child, the, uh, 
the agent on, for your healthcare and yeah. divide it that way. Have one dealing with healthcare and have the other dealing with your finances. And then they're feeling equal with, res- with respect to responsibility, but you're only one person is making decisions. Yeah. And do they talk with their children about that? I hope. They, they tell me they do. <laughs> I hope they do. I've, I've, had, I've had two clients who said, can I bring them in and can you talk to them with me? And I've done that. Um, I, also have, I also have a, a handout sheet to uh, just give to my clients if they want to hand to their trustees, successor trustees, so that the trustee knows what the duties are. It's a you know, basic um, form to let them know what all yeah. they But it's something that none of us have done before, and it's not necessarily anything we talk about. So the education part is is huge, I would think. Um, For sure. How about some mistakes uh, that you see people making as they're approaching retirement in, in any way, some mistakes? I would say one of the biggest mistakes is getting um, an online fill in the blank will form or trust form. Every single time I've seen one of those, I've seen problems with them that they areas that they don't address that are legally required in California or just um, they neglected to fill it out or they didn't understand it. They don't understand the ramifications of what they, you know, for example, the co-trustee situation, you know, they want to just put down both children and they, you really need to speak to a professional to find out what are the consequences of me filling in that blank in this way. Right. I would say that's the biggest mistake that people make. Um, I can't really think of other mistakes. Well, that's good. That's uh, good. They're, I mean, if they're coming to you, that's, that's huge. They're avoiding that mistake. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, you know, some people, Oh, you know what? Here's one other mistake that people make. Um, some people want to, not give all of the money to a beneficiary who they think might not be very responsible until they're much older. And, you know, they say, Oh, I don't want them to get this money, you know, maybe half when they're 35 and the rest when they're 50, which is fine. But what they're not realizing is that the person who they have named as trustee has to continue to act in the role of trustee until that child is 50 years old. So they're on the hook for being responsible for your assets for a long time. And they, they have a fiduciary duty to keep those assets um, in a, in a functioning way so that they're adequately invested and that, you know, there's nothing improper improperly invested or divested with the money. Um, And that can be challenging, especially if there's a house or something just sitting there, the trustee might end up having to sell the house to be able to fund the trust to the point of the child being 50 years old. Um, so that's something that they don't think about, again, the consequences of what their, yeah. what their decision is. That's, I've heard people um, waiting until they're 21 or 35 or 30, but I haven't heard of all the way up to 50. Is that something you commonly see? No, it's not very common. Okay. <laughs> kind of giving you an extreme. It's yeah. really, it's very common for people to say, 25 and 30 or 25 and 35. But again, they, they just need to make sure that they understand that the trustee could be in their role as trustee for that long of a period of time. You know, 
hopefully the person creating the trust will not pass away that early and, you know, that their children will be already be over the age of 35. But in some instances, you know, one of the unfortunate things that we have to think about as an attorney is every worst case scenario, maybe one of your children dies younger and has a child themselves who's only one or two years old. And then again, the trustee has to continue as trustee until the baby, the, the grandchild is of the age that you designated, you know, half at 25, half at 30. Oh, that's how it works. So the parent had specified for their child, those ages, and those same ages go down to the, the child's beneficiaries, the grandchild. They can. Yeah. So, and there's two different ways. Most people do it by right of representation, which means if I'm giving 50% to this child, then I, and and that child dies before me, then I want that share to go to the deceased child's um, heirs, their issue, they're called their children. Um, Another way of doing it is per capita, which means if you have four children and one of them dies before you, then instead of each of them getting 25%, the three remaining children get 33 and a third percent. And that fourth child's children or issue get nothing. So that's, that's another way that some people have done it. Okay. That's my next question was going to ask you about um, questions about leaving assets for children. Is there anything else that comes up that you can think Um, of? Well, some people want to be really fair and then others want to say this, this child uh, doesn't do anything for me. And so I don't want to leave them anything. Hmm. And I say, then tell that child now, do it now, because otherwise you're setting your children up for not just a fight among each other, but a court fight. And it gets ugly that, and, and then the only winners are the attorneys in the court because they're making money off of your estate. So I know it's a hard conversation to have, but if you feel that strongly that you want to cut somebody out who probably is expecting to, to inherit from you, then you want to make sure that they know about it so that you're avoiding conflict later on. And I wonder how many people have that conversation. I've heard those horrible stories where one child gets everything and the other child gets nothing. And I can't imagine that level of animosity that they'd actually talk about it beforehand. I mean, hopefully they are, but it's, and it's not easy. Um, Sometimes it's not uh, just anger. I want to cut you out of my estate, but it might be, I'm sorry, you're a drug addict. You're irresponsible. You've stolen from me. Right. I I can't trust you with this kind of money. Right. And, uh, but you can still set something up. You can still set up special needs trusts so that somebody's doling out money, kind of like an allowance or, or paying their bills for them okay. and making sure that their health, education, maintenance and support are taken care of. Yeah, that's good. From the perspective of an attorney working with retirees, I don't know if you have an opinion on this, but what realistic changes would you make to Medicare and or Social Security if you had the ability to do that? Well, let's see. Um, so most people fear that Social Security is going to run out before they get to use it um, for what they put into it, right? Yeah. And, and that could be the case because 
according to the 2021 annual report of the Social Security Board of Trustees, the money will be depleted by 2034, which means that the system will be able to pay out only what it takes in year to year. They won't have a, a slush fund, which is actually in a trust. So they'll, they'll only have enough to pay out about 75% instead of 100% of the full benefits. So the experts say that we need to either change tax policies to steer more money into the trust funds, which pay out social security, or tinker with the benefit formula to reduce costs. Either way, the people have to bear the costs and no one likes paying more in taxes or losing monthly income during retirement. Those are both hard pills to swallow, right? Right. From an estate planning perspective, as I said before, people want their children and their grandchildren's futures to be secure, which is why they pay for an estate plan while they're alive, rather than having their heirs sorted all out after they've passed away. Um, one way that won't hit people in their pocketbooks would be to raise the age when a person becomes eligible to receive social security or full social security retirement benefits um, to, to age 68 or 70. Because we have to keep in mind that the social security system was um, was created and designed to provide benefits to people, uh, retirees, for 13 to 15 years. So you were saying back in 35, it was thought that people would be retired for 13 to 15 years? Right. And people are living longer. Um, and so they might not need this extra help for, for that many you know, they'll, they'll need it for longer, a longer period of time. Yeah, right. And um, so they might need to work longer to be able to do that. But I believe that the raise in age should also depend upon the type of work that you did, such as heavy labor versus white collar. If somebody's in a white collar profession, they're going to be able probably to work longer. And uh, not everyone equally is living longer. Um, because it's, it's known that people who had very stressful jobs or, or heavy labor jobs tend to die earlier than with uh, less stressful jobs. I, that's an interesting concept. I haven't heard that before. That would be difficult maybe to implement, but I understand. Yeah, to bifurcate that. I, yeah. I can imagine, you know, somebody's going to have to choose yes or no on the, on the profession, but uh, where, what category it falls in, but it just seems like there should be some sort of equitable way of doing it because it's not entirely fair to say to us, to presume that everybody should be able to work until they're 70 because that might not be the case. Right. Right. And even if they do stop working, whether they're going to be able to wait to collect it, You know, it depends if they, a lot of people really need to start at that early age. I've heard of Mm -hmm. raising the early age up too, from 62 to 64 or 65. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so often confused with the Medicare age of 65 right now. Anyway, that's when people think they should, their full retirement ages for social security. So we'll see. It's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options out there that could be made to strengthen the program and hopefully it'll get done before 2033. Right. Right. So, well, this has been great, Allison. I, I just, uh, to wrap it up, 
where can people go to learn more about you or to get in touch? And are you only working with folks in California? Yes, because I'm licensed to practice law in California. Then that's the only state where I can practice. So uh, I have a website. It's Allison B. Cruz. And it's A-L-L-I-S-O-N. B is in boy, cruise, C-R-U-Z.com. So that's where you can get all of my, all of my information. Okay. I well, appreciate this, Martha. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, thanks for being here. It's, it's always fun to talk with you. Mm-hmm.